Episode 35, Bonus Edition, Interview with Ryan Jackson. Hi, Elite Educators. I have been working on a special project for a few months now. As a new teacher coach, I love to empower educators to realize their capabilities in order to reach their potential. I just released the New Teacher Academy, a set of online modules to prepare teachers for the reality of their first few years in the classroom. I went the traditional route to receive my certification, and that meant four years stuck inside a classroom learning theory and educational contributions instead of applicable strategies and techniques. So it's no surprise I felt underprepared my first year, and there is no reason teachers need to ever feel this way. So I created the New Teacher Academy to provide new educators with confidence and technique knowledge to not only be prepared to tackle their first few years, but become successful leaders in their classrooms and school buildings. It's our duty as veteran teachers to inspire and instill instructional best practices into the minds of our colleagues. Head over to alwaysalesson.com, click on resources, and you'll see New Teacher Academy listed. The first 10 people to sign up get the lowest price this product will ever be. It makes for a gift that not only affects that new teacher, but all of the people they work with and, of course, benefits their students' trajectory of success. This is one more way I can leave you empowered. Educators, is your passion tank running on empty? Look no further. Gretchen of Always a Lesson has a double dose of just what you need. Come fill yourself up with an empowering educator's podcast to start your day feeling empowered. Hi, Elite Educators. This is Gretchen from Always a Lesson. Whether you're teaching a lesson or learning one yourself, this podcast is for you. I'm here to empower you to reach your potential. I call you elite only because an elite educator would take time to invest in themselves by listening to a podcast like this to help hone their craft. I want to first start by thanking you all for tuning in each week. I've received some of the most complimentary reviews on iTunes. We are at over a 100 reviews. Thank you. If you enjoy the show, help me by subscribing and leaving a rating with a review. This tells iTunes to continue pushing out the show, which helps more and more teachers each day. Shout out to Nikki L. who left this review. I so needed this whenever I was an an elementary school teacher. While I'm a work-from-home mom now, I find so much value in this podcast. Keep up the great work, my friend. Educators need this. Thank you so much, Nikki, for tuning in. I am excited that this podcast resonates with moms who also work with children to ensure they are reaching their potential. Today, I want to help you reignite that passion and potential by sharing an empowering message by an elite educator named Ryan Jackson. Let me share a little information with you about who he is. Dr. Ryan B. Jackson is an assistant principal at Maplewood High School in Nashville, Tennessee. As the self-coined hashtag underdogs advocate, 
Jackson prides himself on serving inner city students, ensuring they receive access to high quality education. Jackson created the competitive teaching model, which was the basis of his TED Talk. How cool is that? And he has also been instrumental in implementing coding, STEM, and an invigorated art curriculum into Maplewood. He publishes a monthly blog detailing all of these efforts. I'll be sure to share all of these amazing links with you in the show notes. Well, hang on. This is going to be one empowering ride. Well, hey, Ryan, thanks so much for being a guest here on the Empowering Educators podcast. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Glad to be here. So elite educators around the world are just eager to learn from you today. So I am just going to get right to it. Right on. So go ahead and explain to everyone how our two paths have crossed. Um, I uh, I linked up with a guy named Daniel Bauer, who uh, had the privilege to do a podcast with him um, regarding the competitive teaching model, mm-hmm. which is something I created while I was still a teacher um, here in Nashville, Tennessee. And through that connection and through the world of, of, of podcasts and those who run them, he, he put me in touch with you. Yeah, and it's been so great, and I'm glad to hear that you're able to share with us everything you've learned, but you just brought up that model that you were talking about on Better Leaders, Better Schools. So why don't you share that with us now, if you don't mind? Absolutely. Um, I started teaching roughly nine years ago, um, backed into it, and I was a writer by trade. And at the time here in Nashville, there were there there was this uh, there was this headline that I just couldn't believe that said hard to fill schools offering combat pay, mm-hmm. and essentially you know they were they were struggling to fill some of our more low socioeconomic schools. I took the job and found out on day one that this was this was not going to be an easy gig, as right. so many so many of us can attest to. You know, serving in an inner city school has these innate challenges. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> you know, I knew that I was going to need kind of a pragmatic approach. And out of that came the competitive teaching model. And, and it centers around the sense of belonging. I'm a, I'm a big uh, Maslow fan and understanding that we're constantly wanting kids to reach self-actualization. Or we're just, we're just asking kids to be their best on a right. daily basis. And I think so often we miss that key component in being our best which is establishing a perceived sense of belonging. So what I did is I started doing some research. I was getting my doctorate at the time. Okay. And, and as I was pouring through some of this research, you know, I came across, I came across this, this kind of a fantastic quote you know, by, or, or ideology by Sigmund Freud. Mm-hmm. And that was, um, man's innate desire to survive you know, hasn't gone away. His, his innate desire to hunt and kill to survive hasn't at all gone away. Instead, it has transformed into an innate desire to win. And, and I really ran with that with that idea and tied it back into these math races that I used to have as a kid and what inspired me. And I, I was working with a mentor coach at the time, a guy named Ryan Murphy, who's still a teacher, now teaches at Nashville's School of the Arts. Okay. But he was he, he was my mentor. So he had he'd already been at Maplewood maybe maybe three years and again, this is a challenging place to work. So, so this guy and I, we kind of felt like we were in the trenches getting it in every day. And I, I took this competitive piece and just, just sort of challenged him, said, I'd like, uh, I'd like you and I to kind of compete in terms of this writing assessment that we had. At the time, I was teaching juniors. It was a state writing assessment and persuasive writing. 
And I would inspire my students to uh, to act as a team. So we wouldn't compete. The kids wouldn't compete against each other. It was more positioned as, you know, I was competing against this veteran teacher. So the, so the students saw it as me as their coach, so Got to speak. It. And um, I was empowering them to take on, you know, this this other class. So we were competing class versus class. But, but meanwhile, the byproduct of that was the kids felt like they belonged in this class. And there's a whole bunch of subsects that come because of that. But that's essentially the competitive teaching model in a nutshell, is I'm establishing a perceived sense of belonging within my class mm-hmm. while kind of using this competitive carrot to uh, to keep the kids motivated and fired up. And then, you know, other other uh, other fallouts from that were the, uh, the connection that it gave me and, and Ryan Murphy, the teacher that I was competing against. You know, we, we grew even closer because of that. It was kind of that iron sharpens iron approach. Mm-hmm. Um, long story short, I did do an action research study on that where I used an AP Lane class as my control group that didn't get it. And a lot of this is in my TED Talk. You can see that the uh, the data was just incredible. The The group that had the treatment was just a standard old English 3 class, you know, all, nearly caught the uh, the control group, you know, in terms of doubling their score when, wow. when it was all said and done. So, so real powerful stuff, stuff that I still use to this day, even if, as an administrator, just kind of in different forms. So you were mentioning the TED Talk. What is the title of that so we can Google it? Uh, the title of that is A Redheaded Stepchild's Journey from Underdog to Advocate. Are you kidding? <laughs> That's, That's awesome. <laughs> that is it. That's awesome. That's going to be easy to remember. Um, so you were talking about being competitive. So it's not just about the end result of your scores, but it's really the whole process of learning, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. The, the, you know, the, the journey, the journey is the goal. And that's, that's, that's to me, what, what is significant about the competitive teaching model is that it, it constantly keeps us present. It constantly keeps us in the moment, um, you know, beyond, beyond holding people accountable, this, this holds people able. It says, mm. you know, I believe in you. It says, I believe that, you know, that you're a significant part of this team and that your contribution matters. Um, and, you know, another piece, you know, whether a lot of students, I just, I just found out, I mean, again, going back to that, this inner city piece that I had, you know, some students just weren't athletically talented or right. weren't musically gifted, or even more than that, you know, they had these they had these outer responsibilities could be taking care of a sibling after school that kept them from doing these enrichment activities or extracurricular activities. The competitive teaching model gave them a way to participate in a team setting in a way that they normally wouldn't get a chance to. So they still got to benefit from all of those pieces while at the same time, you know, sharpening the academic focus, the writing pieces. So it was all about the process, all about being present, holding people able, including myself and just having a good time throughout. Yeah, that social development is so important. I was wondering, do you think the kids were more motivated to beat the other team, or do you think they were just motivated by feeling a part of something bigger than themselves? That's a great question that that I think about a lot. I mean, when people, I think when people push me the most on the model, you know, the the X factor is the the competitive piece. I can't sit here and tell you that they weren't excited about that, that there wasn't a fervor in the hallways on the days that we were going to take these benchmarks, um, uh, that that the kids just weren't outright excited about that, that there wasn't even some fun trash talking, (laughs) you know, but, but I guess bigger than that, 
it was it was that being it was that being present piece. It made every day in class when we would when we would get to that point. We teach on a block schedule, still uh-huh. do, did then, still do. So ninety minutes in the class. Right. Um, so when we would get to that section, you know, that part of the day's agenda, you know, it, it just it just kept us present. They knew this is why we had to sharpen. This is why we had to practice. That that there was a goal, you know. There and and I could post it. We did a countdown and all those th- kinds <laughs> of things. So. So, so the process was just as significant. Um, I think what the kids were able to do, though, was focus on being present, why I need to, you know, even even in this era now of, of, of distraction central, where, where everything is a distraction almost, right. it, it, it just sharpens a way to kind of keep, keep the mind focused. And I wonder if you followed these same kids, if you've totally changed their trajectory of success in the academic realm from this one experience. You know, that's 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 a piece of the model that that I've talked with other people about is um, is is the follow through on that. I did that study about three years ago. So, you know, it would be it would be fascinating to see where they are now um, in terms of what I had been. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so, Ryan, you mentioned you were an admin or are right now. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your school and your current position? Absolutely. I work at Maplewood High School in Nashville, Tennessee. Which uh, we there's 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 no mystery about this. I've said it in the TED talk. I've I've said it on other podcasts and blogs. You know, we serve the most impoverished zip code in Nashville. Um, so with that comes you know a whole litany of of innate challenges. However, this is this is my sole experience up to this point. I've been there almost a decade. So it's it's the world that I know. It's the one that I'm fascinated with and that I love to serve. Mm-hmm. I've been a teacher there. I've been a dean of students there and a graduation coach, and I'm now serving as an assistant principal. What's kind of unique about Nashville and the high school's model um, is we have what's called the academies of Nashville. Those are schools within schools. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I am the principal of the Academy of Energy and Power. I have my own set of students, my own guidance counselor, my own secretary, et cetera. I run a mini school within inside Maplewood High School. And what's really cool about that, the caveat of that is not only the sense of belonging, because I have students that are specifically assigned to me, I get to know on a first name basis, you know, the personal story, et cetera, mm-hmm. is we have these flagship partners, these flagship business partners. Nashville Electric Service is one of mine um, as an example. And we're able to really hone in and specify on, on what kids want. So I have an engineering pathway. I have a utilities pathway. And through that, we get to do a lot of cool projects. Um, back to what I do, assistant principal, I run the gambit of everything from instructional leadership to professional development design to teacher retention to student discipline, school-wide safety. Um, I, I do all of it. Jeez. So I want to ask you a selfish question as I heard you talking, and I don't know if my audience is interested, but I am. So I'm going to ask, when you are moving up the ranks within the school that you've been at before, is that hard juggling people who were once your colleagues to now this staff that you're leading? Uh, definitely, definitely can be. I was, I was blessed in the sense that uh, my mentor is a guy named Dr. Ron Woodard, who's currently the executive principal at Maplewood High School. Um, he's this he's in his fifth year. He's in his fifth year there. So he uh, when he came on board, I was still a teacher and did, did two years as a teacher um, under his principalship. And he, um, he he made it clear to me that 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 he that he saw something. You know, he he knew I was motivated. This is the direction I wanted to head in, but that that challenge wouldn't be easy. Um, 
but I had such a passion for the students that I was serving at the time. I really wanted to stay at Maplewood, even though I was getting other offers to go to other schools okay. um, in terms of administration. So I took a dean of a dean of students position at Maplewood mm-hmm. instead of jumping straight into administration, and that ended up being being the the best piece of advice that really anyone has ever given me because it allowed me to segue into education. Mm-hmm through a position though that was unique in terms of being the ultimate resource. So yeah. at that time I wasn't managing adults. I was slowly transitioning into admin, but I was the ultimate resource. So when it came to student discipline, I was able to pull kids out, have conversations, set the record straight. If a teacher needed this, if a teacher needed that, they knew I was a strong teacher. So I had that instructional background. Mm-hmm. So if it came to looking at a lesson plan, if it came to uh, helping with a particular project-based learning piece, or if it just came to resolving a verbal or physical dispute, I was that ultimate resource, whatever you needed. So doing a year of that in the building mm-hmm. really positioned myself in a teacher's mind of this guy is here for the right reasons. This guy's been nothing but supportive, nothing but helpful. Um, you know, I kind of live by a creed, a rising tide lifts all boats. So mm. when that year was finished um, and I was offered an assistant principalship, I received, uh, I mean, and I mean this wholeheartedly, just outright, no pushback. You know, it was like, wow, this guy has deserved it. You know, he's deserving. He's, he's, uh, he's earned it. And he is here to help us. And, and that motto hasn't stopped to this day. Yeah, it sounds like it was a good buffer year for that transition. And, and you could really showcase that, like you were mentioning, that you're here for everyone and the success of all. And, and that really built that trust with the staff so that when you did gain that leadership role, they were ready to listen and take your lead. That's awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, and I think roles like that, roles like the dean of students and, and ultimately what I do now as an assistant principal, these are these are egoless roles. You know, mm-hmm. you, you completely take the ego out. And then once teachers see that you're here for the right reasons, you know, and you're, you're here to serve. I mean, I'm a servant leader. leader. Yeah. yeah, that that kind of ideology. So is it hard to juggle being a principal of your own school within a school and then doing your AP duties for the entire school? It definitely can be at times. Um, last year was was a challenge because I had I had moved up from the dean of students into an assistant principal, so we didn't have a dean of students last mm-hmm. year. So I'm I'm managing, juggling, you know, nearly everything along with I mean other APs in the building. This year we've got a dean of students again. That takes a little bit of the pressure off, okay. but I'll, I'll definitely say it can still be sort of a challenge. I'm a very hands on type of principle. So mm-hmm. love instructional leadership, love looking into new technology, love project-based learning. I love to have my fingerprints on all of this kind of stuff and, and help us even facilitate some of the really cool pieces that we have going on. Um, helped start a coding academy within within my school. So, cool. you know, being, being hands-on and being so in the trenches, you've got to be able to, um, you just, you got to be very fluid in terms of pulling out to see big picture of what's going on at the school and then pushing right back in and looking at it through the microscope again. Yeah, that's good. So did they pair you up with that content of a school or did you say, Hey, here's my talent. Can we create this school? Uh, that at the time that position was vacant and I, I was, uh, I had a vision once, once, I, once he said, this is where you're going to go into, mm-hmm. I had a, I had a vision for that. So it at the time didn't include engineering. Um, it was just a utilities pathway. So essentially, um, and, and I can, again, I'm, I'm the underdog's advocate. I've, I've positioned myself as that. And I'll sort of explain that through this story. Okay. Um, 
it was a utilities pathway, like I said, with Nashville Electric Services, our flagship partner, and their their uh, their firm legs were, you know, you could you could graduate out of this academy out of this academy and get a linesman position with NES. Baby boomers are retiring; mm-hmm. these linesman positions are opening up, and I said, man, that's fantastic. I love that opportunity. But I saw more than that, especially as soon as I took the job and I started talking with the kids, meeting with the teachers. And started to notice that wow, like our our uh, our specific ACT scores are higher than the rest of the school. Wow, our kids are more math driven than the rest of the school. Um, I started thinking about uh, engineering. Um, my, my stepfather was an engineer. My stepbrother was an engineer. So that was always sort of a, f- a fascination of mine. Even though English was my background, writing is my forte. Um, the mechanical side of engineering always fascinated me. I'm a big project based learning advocate. So. Uh, working with this first group of kids, they started doing a project called Go Green, Get Green, which is a okay. solar-powered, inspired mobile device charging Wow! Yeah, uh, project that, that we ended up getting this, uh, this commissioner, I mean, um, this state representative and um, a bunch of people on board to kind of get excited about this solar power initiative that will charge students' cell phones based on this technology called graphene. The kids came up with this remarkable project, and from there I thought – there's no turning back after this. I started lobbying to get an engineering pathway included. Uh, we partnered with a local with a local college called Lipscomb, and since then we've done uh, several several award winning STEM projects, um, including terraforming a planet called Maplewood Martians, and then this year we're we're using drone technology to um, to compare against analog bucket truck technology oh in order God. to yeah so, so we're doing all, all kinds of fun stuff like yeah. right in the heart of the inner city with the most impoverished students in the city so it just goes to show that with some vision with passion and then you know basically holding students able like I saw from the beginning that these kids were totally capable if I keep my expectations extremely high mm-hmm. but yet yet that I show them that I'm right in here with it. And once the teachers bought into that vision and saw that this this guy's serious, like his his visions are for real, and he's he's willing to commit to them, uh, the sky was the limit. Yeah, I mean, you have a vision, you've got high expectations, but then the key here is your support. You're willing to be in the trenches with the kids, helping them attain these goals, and I think that's really what is attributing to your success. So, bravo! I'm just like blown away with everything that you're doing. Oh, I mean, well, first of all, thank you for saying that. I'm, I'm humbled by you even saying that. Um, to add on to that, uh, I'll give you an example. You know, last year we were doing this this Mars terraforming project. It was mm-hmm. called Maplewood Martians. You can you can just Google that hashtag okay. or through through Twitter or through Instagram on that hashtag, uh-huh. Maplewood Martians. So the kids are working on terraforming this planet because I always had this idea that, you know, because we were in the middle of poverty, I wanted students to walk into my school, my academy, and feel like it was another planet, like okay. it was just totally different. So that, that's kind of the that, that was kind of the seed of the Maplewood Martians. Then I was also dealing with this incredibly smart group of kids that wanted to uh, refute this MIT study that said astronauts would die after so many days. Mm. Um, long story short, I used the power of Twitter to connect with a lady named Barbara Gruner, who's a librarian based out of Texas, cool. and her husband. Uh, worked for NASA. What? 
So, so, so she puts me in contact with this guy through Twitter. I bring that back to the school, to the students who kind of know I'm a Twitter nerd. Um, <laughs> you know, like I said, when you, when you, when you've got those smaller academies, we just know each other better. They know I'm on Twitter. That's how I promote all of our stuff. So I'm like, listen, listen, I just got this hookup through Twitter for this guy, John Gruner at NASA. You guys are not going to believe that. And he is down to Skype with us. So wow. we start Skyping with this guy. But but it goes back to that point that you said. The teachers saw that. The students saw that. That, you know, this guy is not only just managing us and checking right. lesson plans and things like that. I mean, he's bringing in. He's bringing in project partners, Skyping with kids, you know, and NASA dudes like <laughs> it, it, it does. It does kind of level the playing field of sorts where it feels like we're all in this thing together. And, um, you know, it makes the vision a lot more real. Yeah, you're a teacher at heart for sure. So you were mentioning working in this impoverished area and I did Title One for many years. But help me make the comparison. It, it's impoverished. How like demographics and then what potential challenges does that bring? Well, you're just talking about, you know, roughly 85% of our students, you know, are on free and reduced lunch, you know, live at or hovering around the poverty line. Mm -hmm. Um, We're in one of the most destitute parts of the city. Nashville is rapidly gentrifying, um, specifically East Nashville. However, the section of East Nashville that we're in is kind of the last undeveloped part. and, And it's slowly pushing into that. But we're just dealing with the trappings of poverty, you know, um, High crime rate, you know, um, we're in a food desert. Um, you know, I think we've, we've got a stat and I don't want to misquote it, but, okay. you know, um, just not many of our of our parents, you know, uh, went on to college or even have a high school degree. It's mm-hmm. it's a, it's a staggering fact. So I'm just dealing with that gambit. So these innate challenges that come into the school feeder schools that have historically been underserved and need help and things like that. Got it. Um, really kind of everything imaginable. We're, uh, you know, I'm roughly, uh, 77 to 80% African American, um, you know, 10% Hispanic and, and the rest white. So yeah. just, de- just dealing with the whole gambit of things that come with an impoverished community and fighting those things head first every day. Yeah, for me, it was just a transient population. I could never get any momentum because kids were in and out. So I, I'm sure you have a little bit of that as well, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, 40% transient rate. And, and that number has stabilized some. But, you know, because as a, at one point, I think when I first started the job, we were we were almost 70%. But we're Whoa. about we're about we're about 40, 40% transient rate. Okay. And um, yeah, as you know, just just dealing with that, seeing a student at the beginning, then he leaves. And I'll see that a student again in April. You know, it's <laughs> It's always it's always a fascinating thing. So we never say bye officially. Yeah, you know, I'll see like, you later. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, what's the best lesson that you've learned either in this role or being a teacher in the classroom? Oh, man. Um, you know, per- perseverance. Um, and, and I think even even more specific than that is, you know, I talked a little bit about this being like an egoless position, you know, and mm-hmm. it, even wh- whether you're a teacher, administrator, executive principal, a coach, um, you know, this is. Working, working in an inner city humbles you and it humbles you in such a way that I think it applies to almost every aspect of life. And that's you, you, you never take anything personal and you do everything with empathy. You always forgive, um, you know, teaching now, now I get the, now I get the, the, the honor of teaching teachers to, to let go of things, you know, that tomorrow's a new day. 
Um, it's always fascinating dealing with kids. Um, and that's whether you're just dealing with, you know, my, my own son. I have, I have a 15 year old Anna and a, and a 20 month old wow. and, deal, and, and dealing, dealing with him and forgiveness through that. But, but seeing his own distractions and how kids forget things so quickly. But yeah. then you take that back into the classroom and, and, and what we'll hold on to as teachers and, and sort of just grind ourselves over it. Man, the students have already forgotten once they've walked out the classroom. So, you know, just letting things go and starting fresh mm-hmm. the next the next day, um, you know, being being goal centered. Um, but just just that that empathy piece, man, just having empathy, letting things go, starting fresh every day. To me, that's that's what's awesome as, as being a teacher, being an educator. I, I recalibrate myself because students will, will, will teach you where your weaknesses are. <laughs> yep. and, and, and I let I let go of things every day and start fresh. That's good. So I don't know in your admin role now if you participate in hiring, but if you were to say what makes an educator greater or what would you look for in a candidate, I know you mentioned being selfless and perseverance and empathy, but is there a quality that really stands out to you that you look for in educators? Absolutely. And, I, and again, that's, that's one of the cool things about, about the Academy's model of Nashville. I, I do all the, all the hiring for my okay. Academy. Um, so I've, I've had the pleasure of building this team up almost, almost from the ground up. But nice. one of the things I definitely look for is, you know, I, I want somebody that's malleable. You know, I, I want somebody that, that's, that comes in willing, willing to learn, you know, that, that learn, unlearn, relearn piece. So, you know, whether you're a millennial teacher and I'm catching you at 22 years old, fresh out of a program mm-hmm. and you're excited and just passionate about getting in and changing lives, but you, you're really a blank slate. That's awesome. You know, so I can build you from the ground up, but I'll use someone as my mother, for example, who's a baby, a baby boomer, you know, maybe three years out uh, away from retirement. She's not a teacher. She's, she works in a, uh, she's a supervisor in a physical plant, but, but this woman has a, you know, has a growth mindset and is just real malleable. She's, she's listening to podcasts on her iPad now, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm looking for that kind of mindset, no matter what stage of career, whether you're mid career, you know, or close to retirement, but those teachers that are willing to adapt and, you know, just listen and, 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 and build and develop with their teams to see where things are going, to try new things. I'm looking for risk takers. Mm -hmm. Some of that stuff is, is, uh, easier to find out in an interview. Some of it you get on the back end because it, it seems nowadays that people will almost say anything to get a job at times. But right. but there but there are certain specific things you can drill down in the questioning process to see really where people's hearts are and their and their mindset is at. But but definitely looking for those malleable teachers that are willing to learn, unlearn, relearn, adapt to the situation that they're in. Of course, collaboration is a huge piece. Um, you know, I'm just big on transparency. So I love the fact that we have not only content area team meetings, but we also have academy team meetings. So most of my projects, I mean, all of my projects are cross-curricular. So when it, when it was the Mars piece and we were dealing with the engineering and the science, I also had my art department heavily involved. Um, we were also doing, you know, uh, fiction pieces through our English department. So this, I need collaborative teachers. You know, teaching in isolation is gone. Those days are over with. You know, I want I want heavy collaboration. I want when students bounce from their science to their English classroom to see that, man, these teachers have been working together like there's a theme going on in some of these projects. So um, looking for heavy collaboration. And with that, you know, comes strong interpersonal skills and things like that. Yeah, Um, definitely what I'm looking for. 
sounds like having that insatiable desire to learn and then making those interdisciplinary connections come alive. Because I mean, we don't live a life that is like from nine to 10, I'm going to only think with a math brain and, you know, 10 to 11, I'm now going to think with a science brain. Life in the real world is all mixed together. So the more that we can do that in the learning process, the more kids realize, oh, I see how we use these skills all at the same time. It's not like these separate classes. That's it. It's, it's teaching kids how to be synergetic learners. You know, it's, 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 it's exactly what you said. It's teaching kids that this entire thing is fluid and there's, you know, there's, there's pieces of glue on each end. And ultimately you want them all to stick together so that when I put you into the real world, you can apply it and it fits. Um, you know, there's kind of a trend in education right now. We call ourselves lead learners and things like mm-hmm. that, but, but, but I, but I buy into it, man. I think that's so true. You know, I'm looking for a teacher candidate who themselves is a lead learner. They're just a student of the game. You know, I consider myself a student, whether it's through reflective practicing, whether it's through, you know, writing blogs, TED Talks, reading books. I'm just constantly learning myself. I mean, the kids teach me more than anything. Oh, yeah. Last year in that Maplewood Martians thing, I mean, I had an idea that I wanted the kids to run with, and they totally flipped it and turned it on its head, made it better, used Google Hangout. I mean, just the kids will teach you um, you got to facilitate, and that's right. that's what's cool about the new blended learning stuff that's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about creating platforms and facilitating, but it's about holding these kids able. And when you do that, you see that they're able to teach you nearly just as much. It's a fascinating time to be an educator right now. Yeah, that's that ownership piece. So it reminds me when I was talking to another principal, and he hired somebody off of Twitter. And I thought that was crazy, but his rationale was so on point. He said, I'm able to lurk without them knowing I'm looking. So they can't just give me the right answers. I'm able to see who are they connecting with, what are they interested in, what are they contributing. And all those attributes that you mentioned are able to be on display for anyone to watch. So after he said that, I thought, huh, I could totally see this being a great way to do things. And you sound like you might actually do that based on your interest in Twitter and the and the factors that you mentioned. Man, that, that particular person is speaking my language. I've, <laughs> I've, I've preached now for, for the last couple of years that I think, I think the, res, the resume is an archaic, is an archaic form of, of hiring. Um, you know, I, I now look for your digital profile, right? That's, yeah. one of the fir- that's one of the first questions I ask people, you know, especially for education. When you consider that, you know, one out of four, you know, roughly one out of four tweets is about education. I mean, it is an educator's platform, you know, so if you're not on here learning, connecting, growing your PLN, um, I'm, I'm, I'm almost uninterested. Um, I'm looking for those, for those educators that, that are connected, that are plugged in, you know, that have their needle to the groove, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, the, the resume is, you know, it's dinosaur stuff. Absolutely. All right, Ryan. Well, this podcast is dedicated to teachers of a variety of backgrounds. We've got new teachers, teachers in a transition situation or just in distress, and then we've got our teacher leaders. So if you could give any one of these type of teachers a piece of advice, what would it be and why? Um, I think... I would like to, man, there's so many different directions I could go there because I I truly wholeheartedly feel like this is the most inspiring time to be an educator. Although it can feel like we're on the precipice 
of disaster here. You know, I'm, I'm a growth mindset kind of guy. And I took a trip to China a couple of years ago as, as part of a leadership exchange. And, and the Chinese have a fascinating philosophy on crisis, you know, and that is danger meets opportunity. You know, I feel that in the midst of this, we have this incredible opportunity. So beyond millennials who, who I think initially I would want to speak to because they're the ones coming in and I feel like that they'll be the biggest surge. I would almost rather speak to those mid-career teachers and okay. say, um, double down your efforts, you know, buy in to the new leadership that's taking hold and some of these, some of these strong, you know, albeit uncrystallized visions that are being put before you right now. D- double down on education right now. Your own leadership is 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 welcomed and needed. Um, we we are we are in a desperate time of adopting to some of these new technologies, these new ideologies. But your leadership and the way that you will be able to transform, you know, if you choose to do so, is is imperative. You know, we need these mid career teachers to say, "Hey, I've been through tough times, so I know that that, that goes back to that holding able." You know, I, I hold my mid career teachers able, even even through a br- blended learning process, which has kind of got everyone on their heels. But I still hold them able because they've been through some of the darkest hours. Like I know they're capable of getting through tough times. This this is nothing in terms of some of the things that they've been through, whether it's no child left behind, et cetera. So these mid-career teachers that are so capable, I look to them to gravitate towards these millennials to help shape, mold, um, grow them with me. So just double down on education right now because it is an inspiring time. We'll get through, you know, this threshold, some of these some of these challenges that we're faced with right now. But the future is so bright for us with some of these cool pieces that we've got in terms of computer science, in terms of the engineering pieces, in terms of this makerspace creator mindset that we have going on right now. So really asking my uh, my mid-career teachers to stick with us and um, and buy into buy into some of these new ideas. Yeah, I'd add on to that and just say if if you if this sounds like you and you are struggling to make either this new piece of technology or this new initiative work for you, then reach out. And that's the question you say is, hey, I want to buy in. I want to be part of the team. I'm struggling to see how this fits my teaching style, my personality, everything that I have acquired so far. Help me because there's people like yourself, Ryan, that are willing to walk someone through that roadblock. It's really just a mental roadblock. So you can visualize how it's going to fit in your own world. Absolutely. I mean, and I can I can make it as real as this. I've got a uh, I've got an in-service day as soon as we get back off the break. And as part of that in-service, you know, I've done uh, self-selected PD. So I've got about seven teachers that are that, that are running their own professional development pieces for the entire staff. And I made sure that one of those self-selected PDs was was a blended learning piece that I've got an awesome blended learning teacher, you know, within my school and anybody that's that that has anxiety or fear about these platforms or about that initiative, man, sit in here with a, with a colleague that, that knows this stuff and we will help facilitate you through this process. So, but it takes that willingness to do so. It's that learn, unlearn, relearn mindset. So double down on education, stay with us. Um, there's so much work left to do. There's so many kids left to inspire and um, these millennial teachers that are coming up, man, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, cool kids themselves that are just that are just malleable and wanting to learn and got a passion for this. So help me grow those teachers 
through your experiences and your commitment to education. And I, uh, I just feel so excited about the future. Yeah. Amen. That's good. I think you're definitely, when I think of you, I think empowerment and ownership, whether it's students or teachers, you're just, you do a great job of here's my vision and then let's get down and dirty and figure out how to, I can help you, you know, make this come to fruition versus you just harping out these, you know, initiatives. So that's pretty awesome. Thank you. Um, so you mentioned having a mentor at the beginning of your career, but who is your current mentor and why? Uh, you know, my, my current mentor is, uh, still the, still the guy that I serve with to this day. Um, Dr. Ron Woodard, he is a, he is a hands-on administrator that has just showed me, showed me so much in terms of, you know, global vision for a school. So setting, setting the tone for an entire building, but then also having those, you know, one-on-one hard conversations with, with teachers, with students, with parents, with stakeholders. Um, I glean so much from this guy's insight on a daily basis, you know, again, serving, serving in one of the more challenging schools. Um, definitely, definitely Ron Woodard. Awesome. So you were mentioning Maplewood Martians, but tell us about any current project that you're working on and its impact on our field. Oh, so Maplewood Martians was last year. Man, what we've got this year is even better. Mm-hmm. I have, uh, you know, again, always wanting to keep kids interested. And that goes back to some of the innate challenges that we have of education. You know, um, kids are so distracted these days. I mean, technology is, is, is just a relevant piece of our lives for all of us, for mine, for theirs. So I'm just always looking for the next best thing to keep kids interesting. You know, innovation is that antithesis of standardization. So how can I get kids interested through innovation? Um, So long story short, I wanted to use drone technology. And through our ROTC program at Maplewood, we were able to secure a DJI Phantom advanced drone. Um, Again, and I love saying this stuff. I love standing on this soapbox. You know, I'm doing this in the most impoverished school in Nashville. We got one of the coolest we got one of the coolest drones on the market. So the kids are using this drone, learning how to fly it, learning the technology, learning how to um, interface with it. I've got my coding academy students, you know, building these digital interfaces that connect the drone to, you know, the end user. And what we did was we took our flagship partner who thought we were crazy when we were doing the Maplewood Martians piece and, tr- and trying to terraform another planet. But once they saw that we won, we took gold at this regional STEM competition, I mean, they were all in. They were like, you know, no longer will we think that you guys are far-fetched. Good. If anything, they asked us to double down this year. Once they knew we were dealing with drone technology, they, uh, they commissioned us to do a feasibility study that's going to look at drone technologies in the utility sector. Nashville had this massive flood. They called it like the 500-year flood a couple of years ago. Oh, wow. uh, the Opryland Hotel got flooded. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, it, it, was, it was a big deal, like um, kind of big media coverage. Well, they came to us and said, you know, if we had this drone technology at the time, so much of this stuff could have got expedited. Right. So we're fascinated as this industry starts thinking about this kind of technology. Now that you guys are interested in it, they commissioned us, you know, these, these inner city kids from East Nashville to use the drone technology that we have. And on January 7th, we're taking this technology out to this remote site using it. Oh yeah. Using it. Um, and again, we're going to measure it against kind of treatment control versus the current Mm -hmm. analog bucket truck technology. And then the kids will present, um, in the spring at the APA convention, this national utilities convention 
on their finding from this uh, feasibility study. So just keeping it's, it's a project based learning piece. So there's still the data analysis. There's the writing of the question. There's the uh, the feedback piece from the teachers. There's the stakeholders coming in. There's the Skype sessions that we have from a dude who testified at the Enron scandal. I mean, it's, what? Oh, I'm, wow. I'm, I'm telling you, man, we're sky, sky's the limit with us. I, I don't care where where you're born, how much your parents make. You know, when it comes to education, I feel like the the playing field is level. If I can get my hands on it, if I can get my students interested in it, the sky's the limit. Oh my God, you are doing such great things, and it's because you are believing that they innately can do it and you're just bringing the resources you're very creative and and making that happen it's just great to hear all these stories well that that particular project is called codes and drones so it's called hashtag <laughs> hashtag codes and drones so you can you can check out all the work we've done that on that on twitter and on uh, on instagram hashtag codes and drones i will and i know you're a twitter nerd so as educators we are constantly learning and growing and staying current on what's happening in our field is just important so how else i know you mentioned twitter do you keep current on what's going on um yeah yeah like you said big big part through my pln um my professional learning network um people that i gravitate towards um, but, but also even within my district, um, I just really try to keep my finger on the pulse, of not just the movers and shakers, but, but the, but the instructional leaders, you know, it may be a tip from somebody that says, Hey, they're really doing something awesome over here at this school. You better get over here and check it out. Um, the people within my own building, you know, like I said, I'm a hands-on principal, so I'm in classes as much, as much as I can, um, and, and starting to just listen more, you know, through whether it's through a post-op conversation, you know, even for a teacher that's struggling, just listening more to find out what their sincere needs are in ways that I can help them grow. And then if I don't have the answer, I'm very transparent about that. Mm -hmm. But let me go out and help you find that answer, whether it's through my PLN or whether it's through something that the district provides. Um, it's just keeping keeping my ear to the street. You know, when I was when I was growing up, I was a big fan of a of an author called Elmore Leonard, and he's a he's a crime fiction novelist, right? But okay. but I was always fascinated by him because he just had his ear to the street. You know, here was this 60, 70 year old writer who could write some of the best crime fiction dialogue imaginable because he had his ear to the street. And I just try to strive to be that. I, I want to I wanna keep my ear to the street, know what's going on, find out what's working, what's not working. You know, I'm a futurist. I'm a tech enthusiast. So just trying to keep my finger on the pulse of things. It reminds me of that quote, do not ask of me what you can't do yourself. And you model that every day about just being a good listener and, and making sure you're keeping tabs on everything. And that's what you want of your teachers and it's what you want of your students. So I think all in all, everyone has got their ears to the streets for sure. Yeah, somebody said something real powerful to me the other day, and that was that advice is toxic. Um, and it took me a while to just sit and reflect on that. Advice is toxic. And it goes back to the idea of holding people able, you know, that, that uh, you know, look, don't ask me to figure it out for you. I'm going to help you facilitate through this process. But I believe in you. I know you can get this figured out. Let's collaboratively work through that together so that you feel empowered at the end of the day. That's amazing. Writing that down. <laughs> so um, this next question is going to make you blush and makes everyone else blush, but I think it's so important to just celebrate our wins. So go ahead and tell us about your best all-star teacher moment. Uh, best all-star teacher moment. Um, absolutely. I, uh, when I was a teacher um, not too long ago, I was, I was charged with reinvigorating a writing 
curriculum at Maplewood. Um, part of that was so. So I, I kind of I, I was blessed to uh, to get hired by a lady who was a deal maker. She's retired at this point, but she came in and hired me for a position called Language X, which is which was a remedial English position at the time. Um, with the caveat that if I could make it through. Uh, this half school year, because the lady had quit, if I could make it through the school year, I would get a, a couple of extra classes on the back end. And advan- an AP class was one, and I really wanted a journalism class. The school didn't have a newspaper at the time. And I had came out of journalism when I was in, when I was in undergrad. So I wanted to lead a student newspaper, and I got my wish. So it took me a couple of years, but building that program, we finally turned our student newspaper into this award-winning caliber uh, newspaper that competed at the Tennessee High School Press Association. And we, at our height, we were competing against private schools, all girls schools, parochial schools, and we were getting second and third place finishes against these schools. And again, this is coming from Maplewood High School, this inner city school in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, but we were, we were designing it ourselves. We were doing the printing ourselves. Um, I didn't know anything about design or how to use Adobe InDesign, but I found out that once you just put the platform in front of the kids, they could figure it out. Mm -hmm. But our, 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 our stories were winning contests, you know, just, just in terms of the pros, um, in terms of the investigative reporting that we were doing. So I'm going to kind of sum that up in just just taking that that journalism program to the to the height that I had it at uh, the crew that I had the kids you know started out with six students nobody wanted to be involved in journalism at the time and right. started out with six kids and grew that to thirty five I mean we wow. maxed out for an elective you know for a writing elective at the time especially um, so what I, what I did with that journalism program taking that all the way up to the Tennessee High School Press Association winning the awards that we did still having those uh, still having those papers you know in my in my, uh, in my repertoire is, is real exciting for me. You are just so inspiring. I mean, not just to the kids and the teachers, but to me and to everyone else listening, you can hear it in your voice. You're full of passion. You love what you do and you just want to keep doing what's best for kids in the most innovative ways. And again, I can't say it enough. I'm just so blown away by what you're sharing. Oh, and I'm, I'm humbled by you saying that. Thank you so much. So one thing we haven't touched on yet is your blog, the underdogs advocate. Tell me more about that. Uh, that was part of a, uh, that was part of an initiative of mine. It was a 2015 new year's resolution that I was going to commit to a monthly blog. And, and I did just completed a full year's worth of blogging, but it's, uh, it's just about getting these, I getting these ideas out there, uh, through a platform that is totally free and allows me to reach outside of my, of my immediate zone. So mm-hmm. each month I try to touch on something different. Um, that is, uh, that's either that's either critical or interesting to me. It could be could be coding, could be project based learning. Uh, last month it was about uh, the art antidote. You know how I think art is kind of the cure for standardization. This month coming up, it's about uh, fit leaders. It's about physical education and the impact on on brain cognitive processing and increasing our capacity for learning. So each each month is just about a, a different unique slice of education that allows me to kind of be that student again and you know, practice my own craft of writing, sharpen that against other bloggers out there and just get better. But uh, it's just it's just a great way to share my ideas with other educators while at the same time remaining a student at heart. Yeah, it's a great way to just empower other people and share what's happening here so that they engage with you and get ideas or share what's going on then. It's just this connectedness that I feel is really um, motivating to me as an educator to keep doing what I'm doing. 
Absolutely. And you, you said something really powerful there in terms of the connectedness piece. Um, I've, I've harped on this a lot and, and I don't and I don't I don't want to beat bang this drum. But with standardizations, you know, uh, impact over the last generation, I think that things like blogging, things like Twitter give us these windows into all these other cool areas of education. You know, all these other awesome things that are going on, whether it's ideas, initiatives, projects, et cetera, just daily wins. You know, it's those kind of windows through those platforms that compete against standardization and show, you know, stakeholders, taxpayers, everyone else that man, there's some fascinating, cool, inspiring, forward thinking stuff going on in these yeah. classrooms. Pay attention. Yeah. All right. Well, Ryan, I want to be respectful of your time. So before I let you go, I want to ask you one more question. Okay. How do you reignite your passion and potential as an educator? Uh, how do I, how do I reignite it? Um, well, I am a, uh, man, that's, that, that is a great question. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a driven, I'm a driven kind of guy. So I'm, I'm always about, I'm always about getting better. Um, whether that's through, you know, my physical approach and staying in the gym, trying to stay fit, trying to stay healthy, whether that's professionally and trying to stay on the forefront of trends, you know, I'm a futurist, I'm a tech enthusiast. Um, so I think I, I think I look towards others. I gravitate towards not always like-minded people, but, you know, just other motivated trendsetters that inspire me in terms of their thinking, in terms of their doing, um, and, and push closer towards them so I can so I can sort of get some of that energy. You know, I feed yeah. off of that kind of energy. Um, you know, it's staying away from the naysayers. It's, it's refusing to listen to pessimists. Um, and it's just buying into the idea that it'll be through our efforts. It'll be specifically through my efforts that, uh, that we make the world a better place. And that's one of the coolest pieces about being an educator. Not only is it one of the most noble professions, but it is quite literally through our efforts that the world will change. Yeah, absolutely. Every decision we make is impacting right now. Not tomorrow, not next year, not another generation, but it's impacting us right now. That's so powerful. Very well, few very few professions and, and uh, positions that can say that. We are, we are blessed to be in one that literally has that kind of daily impact. You're right. Yeah. So on behalf of Elite Educators Everywhere, thank you so much for your time. Why don't you tell us where we can connect with you so we can learn more? Oh, you can definitely connect with me on Twitter, please. I'm at Ryan B. Jackson one. Um, I am the underdogs advocate. I look for serving students, teachers, communities that have historically been underserved or just look for that next step, that higher plateau towards a better future. Um, I also have a blog out there. It is underdogs advocate dot wordpress so come check me out there um so through twitter through my blog um i am ryan.jackson at mnps.org that's my email address so look forward to hearing from from anybody L love to connect excellent well you heard it elite educators start connecting with ryan today thanks so much and i'll chat with you soon thank you so much for having me gretchen i really appreciate it Wow, what an inspiring message from Ryan Jackson. I am super excited you were able to lean in and listen to our discussion today. What I take away from him is Ryan is a leader. He is a super accomplished leader. Walking into his school, everyone is an equal. 
He rolls up his sleeves and gets down with the students and the teachers to do whatever is necessary to ensure everyone is successful. That is something I find to be really rare in school leadership today. And so hearing that from him, it put such a smile on my face. You're right. In order to create real change, you have to be willing to be part of the change and not just stand in your ivory tower and tell people what to do. You have to be willing to give it a shot yourself, take risks, try new things. And even when things are going well, like he's mentioning, continue to be innovative. Make sure that everything you're doing each and every day is what's best for kids. Ryan, it was an honor to have you on the show today. I want to thank you so much for taking time to speak with us. Elite educators, please log on to social media and start connecting with Ryan today. What he is doing right there in Tennessee is something that should be going on everywhere. So the more that we can spread his ideas and his encouragement and his excitement for education, the better off we will all be. All right, Elite Educators, that is a wrap for this week's podcast with guest Ryan Jackson. Now go out and be great because you've just been empowered. This podcast is sponsored by the Educators Podcast Network, a podcast network that encourages you to think about your profession and succeed in the world of education. Whether you're a first-year educator or a seasoned veteran, there is a podcast for you. All of the shows are produced by educators who want to shape education through meaningful discussion and content. So head on over to edupodcastnetwork.com for more details. Hi, Elite Educators. If you like what you hear, subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. And while you're there, leave a rating and review. Also, stay connected with Always a Lesson through social media. Like us on Facebook at Always a Lesson and follow me personally on Twitter at G Schultek. That's G-S-C-H-U-L-T-E-K. I look forward to connecting with you. Calling Elite Educators! Are you in need of feeling empowered by someone who is just like you, who does just what you do, and, well, just gets it? Then hop on over to alwaysalesson.com to learn more on the blog for tips and tricks of remaining passionate about your current work. Also, check out our social media links for more personal connection to other elite educators just like you. And if you're a newbie educator, grab a copy of my book, Elementary Education 101, What They Didn't Teach You in College, to ensure you beat the learning curve and end your first year ahead of the game. Alwaysalesson.com provides something for everyone. So elite educators, stop by today and get empowered.